This podcast is brought to you by Prime Sport, official travel partner of the Seahawks. All right, guys, we are back. Our weekly podcast between myself, that's Dave Softy Mahler, hi, and uh, our buddy Brian Nemhauser, Hawk Blogger from hawkblogger.com, as the Seahawks have gotten themselves to 7-2-1, and 6-1-1 one, one one since that loss to the Rams in Week 2. Uh, and by the way, uh, now have the biggest lead of any division leader in the NFL, three games over the Rams and three and a half games, or excuse me, three games over over Arizona and three and a half games over the Rams. I know our buddy Hawk blogger Brian Nemhauser. That is music to your ears, pal. How are you, man? Oh man, I am great. How you doing, Softy? Uh, I'm good. Uh, this offense is starting to click. The defense is obviously doing their thing now, leading the NFL in scoring defense and tied with Buffalo and sacks. And right now, it's all good if you're a Seahawks fan, man. Well, you know, this was a, a big win, a little bit costly on the uh, health side, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I yeah. think uh, uh, hopefully we get a guy like Michael Bennett back. My guess is they'll probably wait another week, but um, I'm really excited to see what he does when you add him to, um, you know, Demontre Moore has been a new guy they've added that actually has been really active and interesting. And and you got already Cliff Averill, you know, tied to the league lead in sacks and Frank Clark doing his thing. Um yeah, I think there's there's some excitement there. I think the the running back position is going to be one that uh, yeah. going to have to keep an eye on. Well, let's chat about that in a second. Obviously, with CJ Procise going down, Tremaine Pope going down, uh, we'll see what happens as far as backing up Rawls on Sunday in Tampa. But what I love out of this offense, and you've been saying this all year long, that hey, don't don't panic, just relax. They'll be fine as the year goes by. Uh, Russell was as healthy as he's been all year long, and he was doing things that only Russell can do in this game. I mean, heck, first of all, the big play plays in this game. Uh, 35 to Jimmy for a touchdown. 72-yard run by ProSize. 27 to Lockett. 44 to Doug. 30 to Lockett. 34 more to Doug Baldwin. And oh, by the way, a touchdown pass from Doug to Russell Wilson. Uh, it just feels like this offense is back, man. How about you? Yeah, I... I... <laughs> I think you're right, and I think part of the confidence I've always had in this is that this isn't new. This isn't like this isn't stuff they haven't done before. This is the same guys, uh, at least at the skill positions, doing the same things that they've been doing for you know at least since last year. And um, there were some things that were in their way, you know, health being one of them, offensive line kind of getting its its uh, feet underneath them was another. And uh, you know, I think they're starting to do that. I don't think that. Thomas Rawls all of a sudden became a, a bad running back. I don't think that, you know, Russell Wilson all of a sudden became a bad quarterback. I, it's just, you know, people need to be patient, and I think that that patience has paid off. As yeah. far as Russell specifically, oh. I mean, the throw he made to Jimmy Graham, I know everyone's talking about it, and they should. I, I put a screen capture of, of the uh, one frame where he's literally about to let go of the ball, and he's his legs are facing, you know, perpendicular to the line of scrimmage right toward the sideline right and then his torso is rotated at a 90 degree angle completely square to the line of scrimmage that is really tough to do and and you see quarterbacks do that all the time and they're trying to do that and they end up throwing it out of bounds or way off target and he just flicks his wrist and tosses that to jimmy grant that was a and by the way he was on the wrong foot I don't know if you've ever tried to shoot a layup off the wrong foot mm-hmm. in basketball. It's not easy. 
throwing a football is no difference. The, the whole thing was off, and he's just able to kind of do those things in a way that really almost nobody else can. Well, I would have a hard time making a layup on the right foot, by the way. So, uh, yeah, I mean, what, what it looked to me, and Pete said this, I think, on Monday, it, it really kind of felt like his baseball background as an infielder kind of kicked in right there. I know a yeah. lot of people like to poke fun at what Russell's done in the last couple of years with the Rangers. It seems like those days are over, by the way, for now. Uh, but I think his, uh, his baseball background and the athleticism that's required to make throws like that on a baseball diamond, uh, I think that came into play on that throw you're talking about. It absolutely does, and and Russell's you know spoke. He's said openly that you know he's a big proponent of of kids playing multiple sports yep. growing up, and that he thinks it had a huge impact on on his career. And you know, I, <laughs> I certainly am not going to be playing any pro pro sports in my lifetime. But you know, having played a variety of sports growing up, I, I can totally um, identify with what he's saying. You definitely pick something from a sport and you bring it to another, and um, it's a huge advantage. So it's an it's unfortunate it because, you know, uh, having a couple young kids myself, they're all, you know, it's all changed since even I was a kid to where everything is specialized. You're supposed to be playing a year round sport, your travel team. And like, this is at like elementary school level. And it's just a shame because I think, I think you really yeah. do get a benefit from getting exposed to multiple. Sports. Well, you saw it on, uh, on Sunday, how much that has experienced or, uh, helped him out. And I, I, I just go back to two of those big plays we talked about there, 44 to Doug and 30 to locker or lock excuse me, on, on back to back plays, uh, five Oh two left to go second quarter they're up 16-7 they're at the first and 10 at the uh, uh, first and 10 from their own 23 two plays later they're at the eagle three yard line in in two plays I mean just that kind of pressure that that passing game when Russell gets a little bit of protection and this is what you and I have been talking about you don't have to be the best offensive line in football just don't suck just give your offense a chance to function and let Russell do the rest and we saw it on those two plays well you know what did we talk about on Friday we talked about this was a measuring stick game in a way that was very different than the way the the Patriots game was a measuring stick game Patriots are you know arguably or have been arguably the best team in the foot in NFL this year um, you know that was that was showing that basically there's no team that you can't beat this was a game where this was the best defense they have played since Arizona no doubt about it way better than the Patriots defense and, uh, you know, definitely the best defensive line, uh, you know, at least since the Bills game a couple weeks prior in the Bills game and the Arizona game, offense could barely function when it came to running the ball, it could barely function, you know, in some cases in pass protection. Um, and to see this kind of progress against a front that's that talented yep. and gives a lot of other teams trouble uh, was super encouraging. I mean, I think I think that's more than anything else. You can now say, OK, when when they face the Cardinals next time when they face the Rams. God, you never say anything about when they face the Rams. Who knows what will happen? But mm-hmm. but you have reason to be a little more confident that this team is not just going to grind to a complete halt. Well, yeah, and it really is amazing considering they have now played three different guys at left tackle, right? Bradley Sal, George Fant, and now Reese Odiambo. And they still have been able to be okay at times at that position. Gary Gilliam, to me, on Sunday, I thought he had one of his best games uh, with the Seahawks. This is a guy who's been getting trashed by people and probably deservedly so, criticized deservedly so, and it almost was like he heard that criticism or he heard Bradley Sal's footsteps coming up behind him wanting to take his job. 
I thought Gilliam had maybe his best game of the year. How about you? I, I think that's exactly right, and I don't think he had to hear anything. I think he saw, you know, from what we understand, he was splitting reps with Sowell during the week. Right. <laughs> it's pretty tangible right in front of your face. So, you know, um, it's good to see he responded. And fortunately, and in some ways it's unfortunate it might have taken that for him to, to step it up. But whatever works, I mean, that's, that's Pete Preach's competition. That's great. But, you know, getting back to a little bit on, on what this means, and, and if you look down the line a little bit, what are the teams that are the biggest challenges to, you know, the Seahawks for the NFC, you know, in the playoffs? Assume that they, they get there and everything goes well. Um, you know, none of them, none of them feature a dominant defensive line. Yeah. Cowboys don't have a dominant defensive line. The Falcons don't have a dominant defensive line. Um, you know, maybe the Giants have a decent defensive line, but I don't think there's even stacks up. You can kind of go on down the line. Um, there's a lot of reason to feel like, you know, the, the, the key kind of Achilles heel for the Seahawks has been a defensive line that can just completely disrupt their offensive line. Right. And right. now that they've shown that they can do that against a good defensive line, you got to feel pretty bullish about how they can do against mediocre ones. Well, let, let, let's just put it out there for what it is. The, the NFC is there for the taking, and it's not just for the Seahawks. It's there for a lot of teams. I mean, hell, the hottest team in the NFL, Minnesota, at one point, they were 5-0. and They're now out of the playoff picture as of yeah. today. Okay? So it's amazing how this thing has changed. And you look down the road at the Seahawks, and they've got six games left to go. Not one of them, as of right now, have a winning record. Okay? Right. Arizona, on the flip side... Their next three are all against teams with winning records. Atlanta, Washington, and then at Miami, two of them on the road. So, I don't know, man. I mean, you remember back in 2005 when Mike Holmgren had a decision to make when the Seahawks went to Green Bay on whether or not to play his starters. There's a chance, I guess, that you might have that same kind of call uh, if you're Pete Carroll because this division might be wrapped up by the middle of December. That's true, and and I, you know... I've looked at at the different scenarios, and and I know that the number one seed seems a little bit uh, unlikely. But let me talk about two different things here. One is the number one seed potential, and then two, let's talk about the two seed potential. Yep. When you look at the number one seed, Dallas will have to lose two games, you know, and Seahawks will have to win out. Um, I, I honestly, like we talked about last week, I think that the Seahawks will be favored in every game the rest of the way, and doesn't mean that they'll win every game, but. I see no reason to think that they couldn't do that. So I don't think it's totally outrageous. I think Dallas, look, the Giants are their one loss. The Giants beat them in Dallas, uh, and Dallas is going to have to go into New York. They're going to have to go into Philly. They're playing the Redskins. Um, you know, I think there could absolutely be two losses in that division left for, for the Cowboys. Mm. Um, but, but that's based on the formula of the Hawks winning out. It is. And that means ending the year on a nine-game winning streak. Did it in 2005. They won more than nine. I mean, I, I think if you're a good team and the schedule sets up right, you know, that's that's what happens. I, I don't actually get that concerned about nine-game win streaks or whatever win streaks. It's who you're playing and, you know, stay to your team and how your team's playing. And I think the Seahawks... I think the expectation should be that they win the rest of their games. Yeah, I don't think that's unrealistic. Well, on game day, for sure. I think when you wake up on a Sunday morning or Thursday morning or whatever, yeah, the, when you wake up that day, I mean, as we said last week, the Hawks should be favored in every game they play the rest of the way. And what I also liked about the game on Sunday against Philadelphia, uh, and we mentioned this, I think, on the podcast last week as well, that you're all of a sudden for a defense that was not great on third down in the last three games against the Bills, Saints, 
Saints and Patriots, they were facing an offense that wasn't very good on third down, and they took advantage of it, all right? Uh, the Eagles were 6-for-16 six on third down. That was the best performance on third down by the Seahawks D since the Atlanta game five weeks ago. So now they're getting Michael Bennett back at some point, hopefully. Uh, Mike Morgan on his way back at some point, hopefully. Uh, but then you have to kind of rob Peter to pay Paul because Earl Thomas and Deshaun Shedd are banged up. Let's hope that's just a one-week thing. But there's going to be a point in time, I assume, that all these guys are healthy together, and it feels like we really haven't seen it once yet this year. And yet you're leading the NFL in scoring defense. (laughs) Exactly. And tied for number one in sacks. I, I would argue that this game against Tampa this week may be their toughest remaining game. Um, not because the, the competition is that great, although I think Tampa's better than people give them credit for. I think they got a really strong offense. They're also 1-4 and four at home, by the way. Well, you know, and, and the CX are going to have to travel. That's, that's not the easiest thing to go all the way across that way, and, and they're going to be down a lot of players. Like I said, I, I would guess they will be, you know, conservative with Bennett. Um, so we'll kind of see how that plays out, but I think, I think they should win. Um, but, like, look, let's, let's say that they don't win out. Let's say that they get the number two seed, which is, is probably the most likely scenario. Tell me that you feel confident that, you know, the Cowboys are absolutely going to beat whoever comes in there, yeah. um, whether it's the Redskins or the Giants or some other team that they end up facing. I think there's a realistic scenario where the Seahawks get the number two seed and they still get two home field games going mm. to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I, I mean, I just think that uh, it's a different animal for Dak Prescott when the playoffs begin, uh, obviously. And everybody talks about how Tony Romo hasn't won much in the postseason. Well, guess who else hasn't won much in the postseason? Jason Garrett, okay, yeah. his head coach. <laughs> we, we all talk about Romo, but what about yeah. the guy on the sideline? So as of right now, uh, Dallas and Seattle would have the bye. Uh, Detroit would play Washington. Atlanta would play the Giants. So you're talking about the possibility of the Lions or Atlanta, two dome teams going to Dallas, one of them potentially, and facing another team in a dome stadium in Dallas. So, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Cowboys were one and done. I just think for the Seahawks, though, uh, the running back situation is a bit concerning. I'm not as freaked out about it as others are. What I saw from Thomas Rawls on Sunday, as long as he's healthy, uh, I I got no problem giving this guy the ball because he looked like he was running with a purpose. He looked like he was pissed off in that game on Sunday. It was fun to see. It was was great to see him back out there. And, you know, I hate to say it, but I mean, the the reality is the one thing Thomas Rawls hasn't proven is durability. So I don't think any of us can just exhale and say, oh, well, at least Rawls is back. We got him. He's back for one game. Um, You know, uh, he's got to show that he can stay healthy and be the lead dog for this period of time. And that's that's not going to be easy. So hopefully he comes in. I actually am bullish on George Farmer. I, I think that I'm assuming that they're going to bring him up. Um, I, he showed some in the preseason as far as I was concerned. He's more physical than I thought. I think he's a good third down back. He can catch the ball. He's willing to block. He's a physical player. So I think he, he can fit in. Um, I, I am a little concerned. Alex Collins has not been great so far and, and has a little bit of a fumbling problem. So we'll have to see what happens there. He's also had some problems on blitz pickups and things like that. Yeah. So. I would like to see them go out and get another guy. I'd like to see, like, my personal preference would be a guy like Rod Smith, um, mm-hmm. who they cut last year, who was in competition with Rawls, and I thought looked fantastic. Um, he was released by the Cowboys a couple weeks ago. Um, 
that's a guy that I'd like to see them add. But but we'll see. I, let's let's see what they do from here on out. Yeah, I just think that you know you run the ball because you want to keep the defense on its heels and you want to control the clock and give your defense a blow. Well, they can do that and throw the ball at the same time, and they can do it with Jimmy Graham, and they can do it with Doug Baldwin, and they can do it with Tyler Lockett. So I I I. I should be more concerned about where the running game is right now. Maybe if Rawls goes down on Sunday, knock on wood, or is not healthy enough to play, then maybe it is a concern. But I just think that they're getting a big part of their running game back, which is the legs of Russell Wilson. That's a great point. That's a great point. I, I, I think that the way to, to – I think they should be – careful with Thomas Rawls and limit his carries. I, I think they should like target 15 carries a game if, if they can for a little while, even if that means that they're a little unbalanced in how many passes they have. And this is coming from a guy who absolutely wants them to get back to a balanced run and pass offense, but I think they got to be smart. And, and I think uh, being reasonable about what they ask about from Thomas Rawls, I think, is a big yep. part of that. Alright, man. Great stuff. And uh, we'll talk next week. Have a great Thanksgiving, pal. Yeah, happy Turkey Day, buddy. You got it, buddy. Brian Nemhauser, Hawk Blogger uh, on Twitter. Find Find them at HawkBlogger and also at HawkBlogger.com. On the web, that's it for us for the podcast for this week. Have a great Thanksgiving. We'll talk to you next week. All right, man. Cool. Thanks. Good.